Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great weekend. We are getting into the nitty-gritty 
of our top 25 NBA players list. We did number five, Luka Doncic, yesterday. Today we'll be doing number four. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, if you miss one of these videos and you can't get back to YouTube to finish it, we always release the audio form of them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's get into it. Number four, my personal favorite player of all time, Mr. LeBron James. Now, you guys know the drill. Um, We're going to be doing strengths and weaknesses. We're going to be doing biggest hopes, biggest fears, and then biggest what if of his career. Starting with strengths. So LeBron averaged 38 and 6 on 62% true shooting last year. That's obviously excellent, albeit in only 56 games. He did not make it to the postseason, obviously, but LeBron is in the rare class of people that you have to give a lot of leeway there, kind of like Steph in the previous two seasons, because you know for a fact that what he does translates to the postseason and that the missing the playoffs largely had to do with the roster and the available talent next to him. Kind of a, a weird parallels there throughout LeBron James and Steph's career. So when we're talking about LeBron's strengths, there is no place we can start other than him attacking the basket. It's been the bread and butter of his entire NBA career. And even through 19 seasons, it still is what he does best. And he does it better than basically everybody in the league except for one guy. So if I asked you who led the league in restricted area makes last year, you'd probably say Giannis, right? And you'd be right. He averaged 6.6 restricted area makes per game and finished them at 76.6%. Now, those of you guys who have been listening to this entire list from 25 on, when when it comes to bigger wings and big forwards, I've been looking for at least two makes per game and at least 70%. And the good ones have been around three makes per game, right? And then the great ones are right around like four. Giannis is at almost seven per game, and he's making almost 77% of them. That's ridiculous. But what if I asked you who number two on that list was? It's LeBron James. He averaged 6.5 restricted area makes per game. So only one-tenth fewer than Giannis. And he made them at 75.3%. So basically, LeBron James, through 19 seasons, with all the mileage on his body, with the horrific spacing that the Lakers had last year with Russell Westbrook on the court, the 22nd ranked three-point efficiency team in the league, with all of those factors working against him, he was basically every bit as productive and efficient getting to the basket as Giannis. That, that's outrageous. And it just is a, the, the latest example of just how much of an alien LeBron James is. Now, I wanted to take a second here to talk about the value of rim pressure because we spent a lot of time over the postseason talking about Curry, Steph Curry, and his gravity, right? I have said that LeBron and Steph, in my opinion, are the two best offensive engines that I've ever seen, and I believe they are the two best offensive engines of all time, but the way they do it couldn't be more different, you know? Like, with Steph, the uniqueness of his gravity, because all stars generate attention, it goes without saying. There's not a player on this list that game plans aren't dictating sending multiple defenders to. So there's no uniqueness in the double team. 
The uniqueness is in the way with which players send attention, teams send attention to LeBron James and Steph Curry. Now with Steph, it's away from the basket. The panic that defenders have as they see Steph preparing to catch the basketball somewhere and with any light of day to shoot drives defenders away from the basket. That opens up lots of four-on-three opportunities to finish around the rim, sometimes even one-on-o opportunities as a player breaks wide open underneath the basket because of a defensive mistake. That's the way that Curry's gravity manifests. It's at the basket. With LeBron, it's been a more traditional format. He collapses the paint and is always kicking out to shooters. That's the proven LeBron James formula of the last decade. If you got LeBron James healthy on the basketball court with shooting and guys that can play defense, you have a very good chance of winning an NBA championship. And at one point he won, I believe, four out of eight or something crazy like that, or four out of nine, something like that. But that's the way that LeBron's rim pressure manifests. You think of it as like, obviously getting to the basket almost seven times a game and making 75% of them, that's offensive production there. There's obviously getting to the foul line. There's obviously the defense collapsing and him kicking out to shooters. But there are a couple other elements there too. The value of rim pressure manifests in offensive rebounding. If LeBron James beats a defender to the basket and the rim protector has to step over to help, even if he misses a layup, which he misses one out of four of them, right? Even if he misses a layup, chances are, because the rim protector had to step over to help on LeBron, that your big man is now unguarded underneath the basket. And in many cases over the course of the last few years, that's been Anthony Davis, and that's been an easy offensive rebound putback. The rim pressure just continually impacts winning on so many different levels. I always talked about, I talked about this a lot last year in the playoff run as it pertained to Giannis, particularly with the Boston Celtics, the idea of rim pressure fatigue on a defense. What happened in the first three games of the series? It was like, oh man, Grant Williams and Al Horford can guard Giannis one-on-one. This is amazing. But then what happened as the series progressed? Even Al Horford and Grant Williams basically became tissue paper by game four and Giannis was getting wherever he wanted and then his numbers took off from there. When you've got guys like LeBron, who's 6'9", 270, and Giannis, who's like seven foot and I don't even know how much he weighs, those guys, when they drive at you, it's you can get in front of them one time, you can get in front of them two times, you might even be able to get in front of them three times, maybe more. But there will be a point where he keeps coming at you and you will relent, and you will start to give ground, and he will start to finish at the rim. This is what makes LeBron such a, like, such a dependable playoff player. In the battle of wills, of trying to keep him from getting to the rim, or him trying to get to the rim, he's the bigger, stronger, more resilient athlete, and he's going to win nine times out of ten in that pursuit of getting to the basket. So when we're talking about LeBron's strengths, that's the that's the only place that we can start attacking the basket. But LeBron James is absolutely one of the best three-level scorers in basketball right now, even through 19 seasons. He shot 42%, 42.4% on 3.3 mid-range attempts per game. That's really good scoring from the mid-range. On above-the-break threes, he took 7.4 per game and made 36.4% of them. That's really good. The best above-the-break three-point shooters in the league are going to shoot around 40%, high-volume ones, okay? So LeBron, in terms of high-volume three-point shooting, is 
about as efficient as you'll find from the good players in the league. He took seven pull-up jumpers per game and made 37.4% of them. I think this is LeBron's biggest addition in the late phase of his career. Obviously, in 2013, he became a reliable jump shooter. But back then, there was a lot of catch and shoot, a lot of face-up jab steps, not a lot of off-the-dribble stuff. We talk about this a lot earlier in the list, but there's a certain amount of fluidity with the basketball that you were required to have to be a good off-the-dribble jump shooter. Transitioning from any dribble combination into your shooting pocket with good energy transfer so that you flow up into a jump shot that you have a high percentage chance of making takes a great combination of ball handling ability and shooting ability. That's been the best increase in LeBron's career. I started to notice that in the late phase of LeBron's career, I should say. I started to notice that right around 2018 where it was like, oh, like LeBron's like straight up now a fluid pull-up jump shooter in the same class as like a Paul George or Kevin Durant, things along those lines. Doesn't quite have the same level of, of fluidity as those guys, but in terms of the result, you can't argue with the results. Like in NBA games... Facing NBA defenses, if you're taking seven pull-up threes, uh, seven pull-up jumpers a game, and you're making over thirty percent of them, you are a good pull-up jump shooter. But you can't argue with the results there. You guys might remember a game earlier this season. I think it was against the Warriors, where LeBron had a monster score game. He might even have had fifty. And if you guys remember, Kevin Durant, it was either on Instagram or on Twitter, but shouted out LeBron for his shot-making display in that particular game. So what what is shot making as opposed to any other type of made field goal? To me, shot making is about the improvisation. And it's been another thing that LeBron has added later in his career that has helped, especially in clutch situations and in some of the volume scoring away from the basket. So to me, if I was working with high school kids like I do every morning during the week, I would work on shots that would come within the flow of an offense, right? Like we have a ball screen offense and then we have a five out offense in the ball screen offense. I'll have them work on shooting jump shots as they come off of the ball screen. If the it, it, making a read, if the defender b- uh, backs down, I build everything off of a high hesitation so that they can always flow into the next move. If you're in a high hesitation, you can go to the rim, you can go left, you can go right, you can cross over, you can step back, you can straight up pull up. It's like the ultimate kind of like uh, barrier move, or I should say like bridge move between all moves. Those are shots that come within the flow of the offense. Oh, he's way off of me. Let me raise up and knock this down. Shot making is about improvisation. Shot making is about like, I don't have as much time on the shot clock or I happen to find myself in an opening here, but my feet are somewhat un- unorthodox. Like I don't have my feet set normally. Maybe the ball is not in its normal spot in my shooting pocket. Maybe the defender is contesting in a different way. So I need to shoot higher over the top or, you know, whatever the, di- whatever the specific parameters are, it's about cultivating a unique shot to fit your situation. When it comes to shot making, no two shots are alike. It's kind of just, like I said, improvisational. And it specifically helps you in bailout possessions at the end of shot clocks and at the end of basketball games. When defenses are so locked in that your in-rhythm shots don't really exist anywhere on the court. 
You're not going to come down with a minute left in the game, run a high pick and roll, and get a wide open three out of it. That's not what's going to happen. It might involve you hitting an unorthodox dribble combination to get to a specific spot on the floor where you see a little bit of an opening and the defender still contests you really well and you have to adjust your release, maybe shoot with more arc or whatever it is, to get it over the top and to get into score. That is high-end shot making. If I was describing the best shot maker that I had ever seen in NBA history, this is what Kobe Bryant was best at. The improvisational scoring, the ability to adjust different elements of his skill set to fit really bizarre single scenarios, whether it's like three pump fakes before rising over the top, switching to his left hand in the lane to make a shot, the wild array of arse, the wild array of jump shots that he made in his career. That was what Kobe did better than anybody who ever did it was shot making. But that's another thing that LeBron added a lot towards the end, towards this phase of his career. And I thought it was cool that Kevin Durant pointed that out after that specific Golden State Warriors game. Like I said, all those things that I just pointed out amounts to LeBron being as good of a three-level scorer as we have in the league right now, even after 19 years. He's the best post-up wing in basketball. There are better post-up players, but they're usually bigs. In all, among all players who had at least three post-up possessions per game this year, LeBron ranked fifth in points per possession per post-up, and the four guys ahead of him were all centers, and they're all names that you could guess, Jokic, Embiid, Aiton, so on and so forth. LeBron is the best wing at posting up that we have in the league. That specifically helps him as a passer. We talked yesterday a little bit about the difference between, with Luca. we talked about the difference between high-end playmaking and like kind of like regular making reads, right? And I talked about how with the high-end play, uh, playmaking, it's anticipatory rather than reactive. It's not like you see an opening, you see a potential to create an opening. And then you manipulate the defense to get them where you need them to be for you to make that opening. Why are so many bigs bad passing out of the post? Because they actually see where the defense is at, but they don't see the opening because the, the defense is playing in a passing lane or something. And so they'll panic and they'll kick the ball out. LeBron will see that. He'll be on the right block, right? And they'll be helping out of the weak side corner, so left corner. And they might be positioned in a way where the opening's not there. But rather than panic and pass it out, he'll work a little bit deeper into the lane or he'll attack the double team to get a little bit better of an angle to find that shooter in a spot where he can actually get him the basketball. I always talk about this when I'm talking about Anthony Davis and his passing. There's a huge, there's a huge element of patience when it comes to attacking double teams. When you panic, you won't be able to make them pay. But if you're methodical and embrace the double team, you will be able to find the openings and make them pay for double teaming you. This is what makes LeBron such a devastating post-up player. If you leave him on an island to score, he's going to score better than any wing in all of basketball. If you send the double team, he's going to methodically wait until he has an opening and he's going to make you pay for doing it. Obviously flowing kind of further into his his passing ability. We talked a lot about game management when we were talking about the Boston Celtics, if you guys remember, um, and their inability to understand the flow of a basketball game. Like obviously in an NBA game, you have like maybe 100 possessions. As a player who plays uh, a normal sh- a set of shifts, you're going to to have maybe 80 possessions. You have to understand the value of all those 80 possessions together rather than one specific possession. LeBron, in my opinion, is the best game manager in basketball. 
Nobody understands pace and flow more than him. Nobody understands rhythm more than him. Nobody understands role player confidence and how to feed guys and keep them feeling good about themselves. LeBron also has an amazing understanding of pivotal moments, like understanding the right time in the game to hit the gas versus a time to pull back and let things go. It's a matter of conserving energy and understanding the different levels of impact for each basket. Two points is not just two points. Two points in a specific moment in a game can be lethal. My favorite example of this, 2018, first round of the playoffs. Pacers are up two games to one. The Cavs are on the road in Indiana. LeBron is clearly tired. If you remember how this series progressed, Indiana was so much more athletic that Cleveland would pretty frequently get out to big starts but then Indiana would creep back up at the end of each game, and then it became a dogfight at the end, even as the series progressed later on. But in this particular game, the same thing happened. Cavs jumped out to a big start. Indiana came on like gangbusters end of the third quarter, early fourth, and the Cavs were in some trouble. And LeBron, you could tell, was running out of gas. And he was being guarded by Boyan Bogdanovich, who's pretty good at guarding big forwards like we talked about when we were uh, talking about the potential Jazz-Lakers trade earlier uh, last week. But as that game was progressing, I think LeBron knew that he only had a handful of explosive moves left in the gas tank. And I was wondering why he wasn't attacking Boyan Bogdanovich enough. Like, I felt like there was some missed opportunity there. But then Kyle Korver hit a couple of threes. And when he hit the couple of threes, suddenly the Cavs were up by four with, I think, like two minutes left or something like that. And suddenly, they get a stop, and LeBron dribbles the ball up the right wing of the floor, and I'll never forget it. He just, no hesitation, didn't wait for the team to get into his set. He just did a hard right-handed dribble into his left hand and then spun around Boyan Bogdanovich and finished at the rim. He's completely unstoppable. Boyan had no chance. All of a sudden, they're up six with two minutes left. That six with two minutes left feels kind of like the game is over. Suddenly, the energy got sucked out of the Indiana arena. Suddenly, you could see all the young players on Indiana, like Victor Oladipo, get tight and struggle in that setting. That was, an Im- that was two points from LeBron that carried a massive amount of impact on the tenor and tone of the game. Those are little game management pieces. He could have hit that same move earlier in the fourth quarter when the game was tied or when they were down by two or whatever it was. But if he did it then, it wouldn't have had the same psychological impact and would have still drained his gas tank the way those super aggressive moves to the rim do. That's that's game management. That's understanding the impact of each individual basket. That's understanding the flow of the game. I believe LeBron knew that he was going to need his teammates to make some shots in order to have a chance to win that game. I think he believed that they would and he was deliberately holding something in reserve because he knew he would need it at the end of the game. The best game manager in all of basketball. Last thing on his passing. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with Luka, but I talked about with the top-tier playmakers, with Luka, LeBron, Jokic, and Chris Paul. It's not just that they make advanced reads. It's that they are relentless in doing so. When you are relentless in making reads... It makes it so that teams are panicked to are, are terrified of actually sending help. That is what allows LeBron to be as efini- as efficient and productive of a rim finisher as Giannis. Giannis is many times the athlete that LeBron is at this point in his career. 
Yet LeBron is just as impactful getting to the rim. Why is that? It's literally because of his passing ability. This is why I always say with Giannis that the number one thing that I'm watching for his development is his passing ability. This is why I said in the Boston Celtics series that the reason why I'm all in on Giannis now is I saw a lot of higher level playmaking from Giannis there. Paranoid teams into thinking they cannot send help will allow you to operate on an island more frequently. And when you operate on an island and you're LeBron James, you're going to get to the rim at will and you're going to finish. Obviously, everything LeBron James with the, uh, does with the basketball translates to the playoffs. I, I would argue that LeBron is the most consistent playoff performer of all time. You know, MJ's my personal greatest player of all time, but MJ had some shooting volatility, right? Like, if you caught him, you know, may, probably once or twice a series, he just wouldn't shoot well. And that would massively impact his overall, uh, massively, massively limit his overall impact on the game. There is no player in the game of basketball that I've ever seen that if they were walking into a big game, I would feel more confident in their ability to come through for their team. Why is that? All of the things that I have said that I value most about playoff basketball. He's strong, so he thrives in the physicality. He's versatile on both ends of the floor. On offense, he can attack you from literally any spot on the floor, and he's efficient from literally all of the spots. On defense, he can help you defensively in literally any spot on the floor and literally all of, uh, against any type of player. He can guard Jamal Murray. He can guard Nikola Jokic. He can help at the rim. He can make defensive rotations and close out on shooters. He can do absolutely anything defensively. And then he's got the high-end playmaking to complement his offensive scoring ability. Those are all that's checking every box for playoff effect for impacting winning in the playoffs. And that is why he is the most consistent playoff performer of all time. In terms of, you know, we're going to talk a lot about LeBron's leadership today, especially when we get to his weaknesses. Um, but there is no better leader you could have for a team with real championship potential. Like, if you've got a team like the 2020 Lakers, where you've got a legitimate co-star, really solid role players, good coach that fits the talent, and, and, and healthy, and everything kind of just comes together, in that scenario, you could not have a better leader. Because LeBron understands the highs and the lows. He understands the bigger picture of the 82-game regular season, and the 16 wins that you need to win a, uh, an NBA championship in the playoffs. He understands playoff chess matches. I've done this before. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but LeBron James's record in late series games, like game five, six, and seven, is insane. He falls behind in almost every playoff series he plays, it seems like. But it's because he will feel things out. Like as he gets down 1-0 in a series, he doesn't panic. As he gets down 2-1 in a series, he doesn't panic. He just makes reads on what's happening. Okay, this is where they're killing us. These are where our areas of opportunities are. Uh, areas of opportunity are. I'm going to outlast this guy physically. You know, if I can just win this game and get us back home, we might be able to steal this series. That that is the thing that LeBron J James does best. He understands the flow of those playoff series. He's as good a playoff chess master, uh, master that we have in the game. All of this amounts to as we get to the end of his strengths here. He's still a top two offensive engine in all of basketball when healthy, in my opinion. Him and Steph. Now, Jokic fans were all over my case yesterday <laughs> as the volume tweeted out our uh, 10 through 6. And and look, guys, like you, you should know in advance 
this is the way I, I do player evaluations. I'm always going to give credence and leeway to the guys who've been there longer. And it goes both ways. 10 years from now, if Jokic is still in the conversation for the best player in the world, I will be advocating for him when everyone else is trying to push the next young guy to the top of the list. This is just the way that I'm going to err on the side of giving additional leeway to the guys who've been there and done that so many times before. So as good as I think Jokic is, if it's a if it's a playoff series where I've got two good basketball teams that are pretty equal in talent, and I've got Jokic leading one team, and I've got a healthy LeBron James leading the other, I'm picking LeBron James. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's disrespectful to Jokic. I think that's just the reality of the way that I see the game and the things that I value. Um, defensively, last note for LeBron on the positives. When he's engaged... He's an all-defense level defender when he's engaged. He struggles with dribble contain a lot more than he used to as he's lost a little bit of foot speed, but he's also gotten a lot better as a backline defender, particularly as a communicator and quarterback of the defense. Had a lot of good games like that this year, few and far between uh, as a result of his lack of defensive effort overall, but we're going to get to that in the week. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right, LeBron's weaknesses. 
I tried really hard to come up with some uh, some uh, a list here because he's a player that doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses, and even his weaknesses are more like weak relative to his strengths rather than weak relative to the rest of the league. So, for instance, LeBron's health is on his, on his list of weaknesses. We would argue that LeBron started to show some examples of unreliable health this year, right? And he still played 56 games. Like, a down year for LeBron for health resulted in him playing a lot more than the vast majority of players who have had injury problems throughout their career. The big one that concerned me this year was the knee swelling at the end of the year. You know, there's a difference between like, oh, I sprained my ankle. You know, like last year when someone fell into his ankle. Like, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. And then... Literally, you're just playing basketball, and one day your knee swells up. Like, that was concerning. LeBron literally, towards the end of the year year last year, his knee just swelled up, up and he had to stop playing for a little while. That sounds like an old man injury. So there's definitely some, some concern on the health front with LeBron. Ankle sprains also seem to be lasting longer. LeBron used to sprain his ankle and be fine before the game was over. Many times he'd stay in the game right after the sprain. But it just seemed like when he would sprain his ankle this last year, he'd miss time. That's very unusual compared to the way LeBron is. Health is absolutely a weakness at this point in LeBron's career. This one, this is probably LeBron's biggest weakness right now. And I understand it, but it can be some of the most frustrating thing. It could be the, it's one of the most frustrating things about watching him though. He just goes through these extended stretches of regular season malaise. And that specifically manifests on the defensive end of the floor. You know, one of the most, one of the debates that we have all the time on Twitter is, is LeBron James a good defensive player? And that's a loaded question. Because when he's trying, he's an all defense level defender. But last year, he wasn't trying on about 80% of nights. So I think that means you're a bad defensive player in the regular season. Like, Unless LeBron shows us differently this year, if we're trying to project the level of defensive impact LeBron will have on the Lakers this year, it's probably going to be a negative because of what we saw last year with his super inconsistent defensive effort. Now, he did say in that, um, excuse me, in that Chris Haynes piece, he did say that he believes that the night-in, night-out consistent effort is a legit area of opportunity for the, this year's Lakers team. So maybe he will recapture what he was in 2020. But I would argue that's LeBron's biggest weakness right now. Night-in, night-out in the regular season, he doesn't care enough to try on the defensive end of the floor. And there's good reason for that. I think he gets bored in the 82-game regular season. I think he sees the bigger picture almost too well. I think he's played in thousands of NBA basketball games and doesn't get adrenaline anymore. I think there are a bunch of reasons why, but the reality is, is he doesn't try hard enough consistently enough on the defensive end of the floor. This is where I have to get into his leadership again, because I believe that LeBron's inconsistent defensive effort last year actually was a huge driving force behind the rest of the team, not defending. Because if you're Carmelo Anthony, and you're trying to decide whether or not to really lock in on a defensive possession and your buddy LeBron is not, you're probably not going to. Even good defensive players like Avery Bradley from 2020, this year was a bad defensive player for the Lakers. I would argue that has a lot to do with LeBron James. 
and the example that he set from the top down. Anthony Davis stopped making extra effort plays that he made in 2020. I believe a lot of that has to do with LeBron James. As the leader, it is your job to set the tone so that your teammates follow, and then as a team, you can be a great defensive unit. This this is where we have to get into his leadership. Because like I mentioned earlier, LeBron is probably the best leader you could have on a team that actually has championship capability. But he's probably the worst leader you can have on a team that doesn't have championship capability. If LeBron James does not believe his team can win, you can absolutely guarantee a handful of things are going to happen and there's a good chance some other things are going to happen. Okay, Here's what we can guarantee is going to happen if he's on a team that he doesn't believe in. He will let go of the defensive rope. He will have really bad body language and appear to be blaming his teammates for a lot of things that take place over the course of the game, even things that are his fault from time to time. Those are facts. And then there's also some possibility for passive aggressiveness and pouting. Now, he did not do that last year to his credit. That was more of an earlier LeBron James problem, particularly when he was in Cleveland the second time. But... When LeBron doesn't believe in his team, you can count on him letting go of the defensive rope, you can count on him having bad body language, and he might resort to some pouting and passive aggressiveness. That means you're a bad leader for that specific situation. I've always called LeBron a fair-weather leader. And 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 I, I think, again, I, I, the way LeBron would probably describe it to you is like, who cares? We didn't have a chance to win that year. And you know what? He's not wrong. But there are going to be people that are turned off by that because they would prefer the Kobe Bryant approach where he goes down with the ship. Meaning like, even if he doesn't believe in his team, he just is going to try like hell to win every single game because that's just what his character is. But I've talked to many Lakers fans who have told me that they wish they could go in a time machine and go back to 2013 and tell Kobe to stop and to give up because his body broke trying to save that sinking ship. So again, different types of leadership styles, but like LeBron is the kind of guy when the going gets really tough, like unsalvageably tough. He's not a foxhole guy. That's just kind of the reality. We talked about this earlier, but on defense, he can start to, he's at this phase of his career. He struggles to contain quicker players off the dribble. And then, you know, I, I, I'm getting pretty nitpicky here, but he's a below average free throw shooter. Last year, he actually did get up to 76% from three uh, from the free throw line, which is a nice little sign of improvement. But he was on three consecutive seasons in the 60s before that. It's funny, people would always tell me like, oh, LeBron's not clutch. Look at he missed that clutch free throw. And I'd be like, it's not a clutch thing. It's a bad free throw shooting thing. Like LeBron is one of the bo- the best clutch basketball players of all time. Why would he be not scared in any clutch situation, but then be terrified at the free throw line? That's not the case. He's just, he's a 66% free throw shooter during those years. And so if you're taking two free throws, there's a very good chance he's going to miss one statistically. Cause that's just what that, that you're going to miss. Literally, uh, you know, what is that? 33 out of every 100 free throws. Like, that's just that's just what's going to happen. And then la- and last but not least, again, really nitpicky, but his end-of-the-game shot selection. He can be a little bit, like, LeBron will pound the air out of the basketball at the end of games, work the clock down, and take a step back three. Now, I think that it disrupts the flow of his own offense a little bit. 
LeBron would probably counter that it disrupts their offense as well. And he's right. When you strangle the pace of the game, it affects the rhythm of every player on the floor. But there are times where I wish he didn't settle so much for tough step-back three-point shots at the end of games. That's all really nitpicky. Like, I mean, look at that. We just went through LeBron's weaknesses, and it's health. He was only able to play 56 games last year. Regular season malaise happens to just about every veteran player. Inconsistent leader on limited teams. The teams are limited anyway. He struggles to dribble contain, but he's a good defensive player when he's locked in. He's a below average free throw shooter, but he seems to have fixed it last year. And he can be a little tricky with end of game uh, shot selection. LeBron's weaknesses, they're all small weaknesses. It's just the reality. And that's why he's a top five player in this league. All right, greatest hopes. I would. I, I sincerely hope that LeBron's able to stay healthy for a few more years, because I do believe we talked about this before. But I believe he has the potential for a really productive post prime, because of his ability to pass the basketball, and because of his size and strength. He can become a twenty point per game point forward. That is a super productive top fifteen player in this league and capable of being the second best player on a championship team. Which brings us to Anthony Davis. Because obviously the ideal outcome for LeBron is he wins a couple more championships as a Laker. But that does not happen without Anthony Davis. And I don't mean Anthony Davis just in general. I mean the 2020 version of Anthony Davis. He is the key to the end of LeBron James' career. No player, not even the greatest stars in NBA history, can consistently win without great talent surrounding them. And the Lakers do not have great supporting talent. So they need Anthony Davis to be the top five player he was in the bubble for LeBron to be able to have enough talent around him for him to be able to win championships as he gets into closer to his 40s. And then obviously Kyrie Irving would help. I was thinking about this a lot earlier today as I was diving into LeBron's numbers. You know, some of that late game shot selection stuff. He can have Kyrie help in those situations. They, their, their skill sets complement each other so well, like we saw from Cleveland. It, what, a, what, an, what an excellent addition to potentially help LeBron age more gracefully. And then obviously, if LeBron gets a couple more titles, he has a legitimate co- goat case. LeBron's case has always been longevity in the variety of his success. But MJ's got this dominance factor. It's like six titles in eight years. That's ridiculous. And the only other player who's ever mentioned in that conversation is Kareem, who has six titles, but towards the end, he wasn't the best player on those teams, and in many cases, wasn't even really a star. He was just kind of like a role player, right? Well, if LeBron James gets two more championships as a legitimate bona fide star and is receiving finals MVP votes, maybe even winning finals MVP, that could be what gets him to the point where he can match MJ's dominance and have the longevity that puts him over the top. My greatest fear with LeBron is the Lakers' incompetence. You know, obviously the Lakers have a responsibility to them first, and I'm a big team over player guy, just in general, because I don't think you can win unless you have that approach. However, I don't think you could pick a worse group of individuals to oversee the end of LeBron James's career than Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss. And that's really unfortunate. Because everything that I just talked about involving this potential post-prime where LeBron wins a couple more championships, that relies on competence. That depends on savvy moves being made. And I, I, just, I just don't see a universe where those moves are made. And, and, that's, and that's really unfortunate. 
but uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe this Kyrie Irving thing will allow Rob Palinka, Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss to fall ass backwards into a good basketball team, and LeBron, Kyrie, and AD will be able to cover up all the flaws again. I guess we'll see. The other big one is AD's lack of motivation. Like I talked about earlier, they need Anthony Davis to be a top-tier superstar in order to win championships. AD hasn't cared much since the bubble. That's what caused him to show up in camp out of shape two years in a row. You don't shoot 18% from three over the course of the season unless you're not working hard enough on your jump shot. And that's clearly what is going on with Anthony Davis. Obviously, injuries play a role, but if he was more diligent with his work, he would be a better three-point shooter. That's just, that's just the reality. And so AD's lack of motivation is one of my greatest fears for the end of LeBron James's career. And lastly, injuries. Obviously, it doesn't matter if any of these things go right. If in year 20, LeBron has some sort of season-ending injury. And obviously, all it takes is one of those to disrupt the health of the body enough to end someone's career, just like it happened with Kobe Bryant. All right, lastly, the biggest what-if of LeBron's career. Now, there's a bunch of them. Like, for instance, what if Dwayne Wade stayed healthy? Then he probably never leaves Miami and they probably win more. What if KD doesn't go to Golden State? Cavs probably win in 2017 at least, maybe 2018. What if Kyrie and Kevin Love stay healthy in 2015? I think the Cavs win that championship if they do. Those are There's a lot of what-ifs there. LeBron's had a long career. <laughs> And he's won a lot of basketball games, so there's obviously going to be a lot of what-ifs. But I wanted to go with something that we haven't already talked about at length uh, in some other capacity elsewhere on the show. So here's my greatest what-if if I was LeBron. What if Cleveland got him a legit co-star early on? You know, when, when, when we're comparing Kobe and Michael Jordan and Steph and LeBron, too often people will say things like, well, LeBron's a mercenary. All he wants to do is go from one team to the next. Every time things don't go right, he wants to shuffle the deck. You've probably all heard that in some capacity before. Obviously, glossing over the simple fact that MJ got Scottie Pippen right away. Well, not right away, but pretty quickly when he got into Chicago, and he always was playing alongside a bona fide star. So he had no reason to want to go elsewhere. He always had enough talent to win. Kobe Bryant literally played next to Shaquille O'Neal. Then... When he lost Shaq, he went on sports radio like every day demanding a trade. And then he got Pau Gasol and won again and he was happy. So would Kobe have been a mercenary too if he didn't have Shaq? Or would he actually have been if they didn't get Pau Gasol? And then looking at Steph Curry, obviously they're one of the most well-run organizations in the NBA, arguably the most well-run organization, and he has consistently been at a talent advantage throughout his career. This last year was one of the few seasons in his career where he kind of overcame a talent disadvantage, to Steph's credit. That's why he's a top six player of all time. But the point is, is LeBron was a victim of his circumstance in a lot of ways. They did not get him a Scottie Pippen or a Clay Thompson and Draymond Green or a Shaquille O'Neal or a Pau Gasol early on. He did not have that. And he wasted seven years of his career trying to float way overmatched rosters to lofty goals of trying to win a championship. And I believe that that actually led to LeBron's mistrust in organizations that caused him to behave the way he did over the course of the next uh, decade. 
being mistrustful of Pat Riley and wanting to leave because he wanted to cut Mike Miller, for instance. Or doing one-and-ones the entire time he was in Cleveland, except for the end. Or even now, with him withholding his extension, potentially, to try to leverage the Lakers into making moves. I believe that the Cavs, being so incompetent early, led to LeBron mistrusting organizations and then feeling like he had to do it himself. Feeling like he had to be the one to communicate with Dwayne Wade, to communicate with Anthony Davis, to communicate with Kevin Love, to communicate with Kyrie Irving. He felt like he had to be the GM. And so even though LeBron's had a remarkably successful career with that strategy, I think it's a really interesting what if. What if LeBron got Anthony Davis in his third season and played his entire career alongside Anthony Davis? He probably never leaves Cleveland. He probably still wins at least four championships. And the entire kind of like aura of his career has a different vibe than the one it has now. I think it's a really interesting what if. He's one of the few players that's if we if we're going at the if we're going down the list of the best players of all time, all of them were drafted alongside all time great players. MJ with Scottie Pippen, right? Like Magic Johnson with Kareem. Larry Bird with everybody that was playing for the Celtics. You know, Kobe Bryant with Shaq. LeBron's the odd one out there. LeBron's the one that spent the first near decade of his career playing alongside very limited talent. And it'd be really interesting to see where his career is right now if that wasn't the case. Last note on LeBron. You know, when it comes to these player rankings, it's really difficult to do because everyone's so crazy. Like, LeBron fans still think he's the best player in the world, most of them. And that's crazy. He's going to be in his 20th season and Giannis is just better than him right now. You know? But then LeBron detractors don't even think he's top five, which is a massive dif- disrespect to what he can still do on the basketball court when he's healthy. I feel like four is safe for me. What I'm trying to accomplish there by, by putting him at four is expressing the obvious fact that he's not the best player in the world anymore, but on any given night, if he's got the pieces, he can be better than the best guy. And if your team is going against LeBron James with talent in a playoff series, you're, you're, you're scared to death because you know what he's capable of. And I don't think he can be any lower than where he's at. And I believe that that's a, that's a fair place to put him. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with number three. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.